Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraverty. And I'm Mark Watson. And this is the Menkind Podcast. We're going to take a deep dive into masculinity, exploring what being a man actually means, along with a variety of brilliant guests. You know, men talking about men is a notoriously underrepresented area of podcasting. Not anymore. Happy Monday morning. It's Michael here and he's Mark. Hello, Mark. Hello, Michael. Very perky, that, for a Monday morning. We'll certainly get people paying attention. That will really have hit me hard, that intro. <laughs> well, I hope you feel excited now because we have Jackie Cox, who is a wonderful drag queen who you may recognise from RuPaul's Drag Race. She was on last year's season. But better talking, talking. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yay, yay, yay. Oh, now I'm quiet and talking about something. Is this better? Oh, that's amazing. I wish you could hear the Geordie accent. It sounded like amazing. That's amazing, mate. I heard it. That's amazing. Right. <laughs> um, oh, I'm also going to close the curtains in front of me to absorb some of the... Oh, she's a professional. Totally. I wouldn't have thought This is what we this. need. This is what we need. <laughs> a really interesting conversation with a unique middle, I must say. Yes, there's a bit of a twist in this one. We should also say that we spoke to Jackie just after the American election result had finally been decided. So kind of a, almost a festive atmosphere to this conversation. This was the initial deciding back in November, so it was quite a long time ago. It's a while ago now, but people will still remember the American election, I, I don't doubt, uh, especially those joining us from the States. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, and it has a particular twist, which was a new one to both us and our engineers. So enjoy. Yeah, have a nice time. Do you want to introduce this one? I do lots of introducing. Well, I'm, as usual, Mark Watson. This you, as usual, you are Mark. Next, yes, depressingly, I continue to be Mark Watson. <laughs> next to me is Michael Chakravati, and uh, our guest today is Jackie Cox. Well, what we'd like to do at the start is just say to people, tell our listeners a bit about yourself, but that can be interpreted in any way. Who are you, Jackie? Hi, I'm Jackie Cox. I, uh, I think I'm best known for being a contestant on RuPaul's Drag Race, mm. which, you know, has reached across the pond. Oh, we've heard of it. Yeah, we've all heard of that. It's not just Downton Abbey and Bake Off that come <laughs> over here. So yeah, I... I think that's how I'm best known. I'm also uh, known to be a very nerdy human being and to be, uh, you know, just an all-around good-time person. How about that? On the nerdy note, we should say for people who unfortunately can only hear, they can't see you, but you've got a pair of glasses similar to Michael's. It's almost like looking at two versions of Michael. I did wear them first, I have to say. <laughs> not a competition, I'm just saying. It's yeah. not a competition, but if it was, I would have won it. I'm trying to go against competition here, which is a very macho thing <laughs> oh that you're trying God. to steal. I'm just saying, the two of you have a very impressive uniform look. I'll take that. Okay, so 
these glasses are actually the same silhouette of glasses that I wore on RuPaul's Drag Race. And the reason I wore them, and you guys can see because we're on a Zoom call and the kids at home can just watch the show if they want. Yeah. But I wore these glasses because I shaved off half of my eyebrows when I went to go film. Whoa. And so I wanted a pair of glasses that kind of hid those. So I got <laughs> these glasses in brown and gray and I wore them like all the time on the show when I wasn't in drag. And then when the show started airing, everyone was like, Oh my God, Jackie, I love your glasses. I love your glasses. And you know, I'm a businesswoman. So <laughs> I I found the distributor for the glasses and I bought out the entire supply. Wow. And then I sold the entire supply of glasses. And then at that point, the kids were like, we want more. So I had to design some new colors, including this clear pair inspired by Mr. Michael Chakravarty, <laughs> which you can now purchase on my website. And all this began because you were just trying to conceal an eyebrow issue. Yeah. I mean, you should have added lenswear specialist into your introduction. I should have. Well, we can add it back in and post. <laughs> so you're joining us from across the pond. How are things? Things are finally feeling like there's a little bit more hope here mm. in the United States, which is great. We love hope. <laughs> and I'm just excited about what's to come and hopefully some changes and hopefully this pandemic will finally have some real solutions and we can have more than just a cultural exchange across the pond, but I can come visit next year. That's my one of my big goals. Oh, we would really like that. Yes, please. It feels like quite a good time maybe to be talking to you about gender and non-traditional ways of looking at things because hopefully we've just seen a major societal change happen which will increase the general level of tolerance in america it's a lot to ask for but it's a start i mean the fact that a president-elect used the word transgender in his acceptance speech things are feeling more hopeful for our entire queer community and i think no matter where in the queer community you identify whether it's lesbian gay bisexual which are all sexual orientations, or whether you are exploring gender in a non-binary way, I think now is a great time to feel a little more confident that that is something that you can do. Mm. Certainly here in the United States, but I know in Europe as well, I think minds and hearts are changing around. And I'm going to use this in big quotes because I don't really like this word, but normal, right? I think yeah. we use that word normal, but I think what it really means is the majority that has suppressed the voices of anything else for so long yeah. in our society. Yeah, the people who have been able to define what normal is and make it as much like themselves as possible. Exactly, yeah. exactly, right. When you were younger, when do you first remember kind of seeing that kind of normal, that kind of, this is what boys are meant to be like? When do you remember seeing that normal? And what did it look like? I mean, the earliest things I remember was really loving princesses yeah loved princesses i'm pretty sure what was it i guess in 1987 when i was two years old it was the i don't know the umpteenth anniversary of snow white and the seven dwarves this was before little mermaid and all of those new movies that like i think we all grew up with but mm -hmm. snow white was like the princess that disney was like pushing down our throats and i insisted to have a life-size poster of snow white on my door I wanted all of her dolls. I wanted the little shoes. I remember I cried so much when I lost the little high heels of my <laughs> little Snow White doll. And I remember like my mom, I think when I was two or three, thought it was like kind of cute. Like, oh, he loves princesses. But then as I got older, she was like, wait a minute, this is weird. Like all the other little boys love sports. He doesn't seem to like sports. And so I definitely noticed I was different, I guess, because I was told like, why are 
you going to play sports with your cousins or whatever. And I was like, I don't really like those things or so. Yeah, I guess like, I guess it started at two and then <laughs> went on from there. And what were your parents like with that? You were growing up in a different environment, I suppose, if you wanted to talk about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I lived with my mom almost my entire childhood. My parents got divorced when I was two. And so my mom, what's funny about my mom is she's not like, it's not like she wanted me to like drink beer and play football. She very much wanted me to be like an intellectual. She wanted me to study music and learn like you could say more intellectual arts like she wanted me to like learn the piano and yeah she wanted me to study a lot of things so it's not like she wanted me to be like a steak eating a jock a jock or a lad and maybe as you'd say in the UK yeah. <laughs> learning the lingo learning the lingo well jock is me trying to reach out to you actually that was a cultural exchange oh, there that, that was lovely perfect cultural exchange <laughs> we love it so I think you know, I had to kind of repress any overtly feminine things yeah. a bit living with her. But she let me, you know, watch Star Trek a lot, which I mm-hmm. loved. And I could explore a lot of different ideas in my love of that. I will say I was very lucky that whenever I'd go visit my father, he didn't seem to care at all that I liked non-traditional things, like non masculine things like I remember when Little Mermaid came out he bought me a Little Mermaid Barbie doll and then we got like like an empty cardboard box and then we lined it with like shiny blue wrapping paper on the inside and then he took me to the pet store and we got little rocks for Ariel to sit on and he basically (laughs) made me a little like aquarium for my little Ariel Barbie doll to sit in. I'm a dad and this is much more effort than I've ever gone to. Well, (laughs) when your kid gets interested, you got to dive in. I I do my best, but I wouldn't go to a pet shop. Oh, (laughs) you know what? It's about the imagination. Yeah. I was lucky because I would be able to see him relatively often and he kind of let me know that it was okay. So then I guess I kind of learned, you know, as I'd go home to my mom to kind of just start to hide parts of myself. You know, you start to learn how to conceal things that maybe you're interested in or not sharing your whole self with mm. people. Am I right in thinking that you ended up hiding those things for a really long time in the end, or at least not exhibiting your whole self to, like to your mother? And Completely, as is widely known, I didn't come out as being a drag queen to my mom until the show happened. I mean, this is widely known enough that I know it, but I still find it absolutely fascinating. <laughs> I can't imagine having a secret of that size for that long, basically. Yeah, well, I just celebrated 10 years of doing drag. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And almost all of that 10 years without your mother's uh, knowledge. Without her knowledge. And I mean, a lot of it's because of fear, you know, a fear of being rejected, fear of someone not approving of you. And at some point you have to, and this is what I'd encourage any person listening, regardless of age, I was 34 years old when I told my mom I did drag. No matter what age you are, if there's something that you love doing or being or loving, and it's not hurting anyone, then let people in your life know about it. And if they do reject it, then that's really on them. And it's so hard because we don't want that rejection. We don't want people to think that we're weird or different or whatever, but people are going to think what they're going to think. And at some point you have to get strong enough in your belief of yourself that it won't hurt you. But it's really hard. And it's still something that we think about all the time, right? It is hard because that fear of rejection is one of the main things that drives us, I think, in a lot of ways. Or not drives us, but drives us away from who we really wanted to be. Mm. What's really interesting is I know you're really proud of your heritage, but there's sort of conflict, I suppose, within those, let's say, 10 years. You have this urge to celebrate your heritage and who you are. But I'm assuming part of that heritage was what was holding you back from feeling like you could express that to those people. I wondered whether you could talk about that contrast, I suppose. I guess one thing that happens, I think, when we start examining how 
the societal forces of gender push us into binaries mm -hmm. or push us into thinking that there's a binary that you have to fit into is that it gives, I think, young people, certainly, I think, young male people who I think many men, regardless of what they are on the masculine to feminine scale, and I think I'm a pretty feminine person, but I think a lot of men are very good or become very good at compartmentalizing parts of themselves. And I think that's because you know, in the last 50 years, I think we've really let women and girls start expressing more facets of their personalities, more opportunities, and there's still a huge way to go. But as a culture, we accept things like tomboys and tomboys have been in major motion pictures for the last 50 years as something mm. totally normal. But I think effeminate men is still something that we don't accept, certainly in American society, but I think even still in Western European society, but certainly in American society, we're still very much like, ah, what's this effeminate boy? And I guess even with tomboys, we as a society accepted the idea of tomboys to use that word, faster than we actually accepted gay female relationships. It feels like we need to be quite gently introduced to concepts and then scale up from there. Totally. But I think it gives everyone this kind of ability, certainly people who feel that they aren't in those binaries, to start compartmentalizing the parts of themselves that do fit into those things. Yeah. So it's like, oh, well, these are the parts of myself that are masculine enough that I can share them with everyone because no one seems to care that I like Star Trek or I have shorter hair, you know, or whatever those things are that we think are traditionally masculine traits. And then the other parts of yourself, you learn to start to hide. And that included my heritage for a long time. I didn't really talk about it in drag for the first, I guess, six years of me doing drag. I didn't really incorporate any of it into what I was doing. In 2016, when the election happened here in the United States was when I was like, oh, wow, this is A, terrible. And B, I realized I had built up a little bit of a platform and I wanted to talk about it. And so I started actually talking about the Muslim travel ban and incorporating that into some of my shows and my drag. And a lot of people had a reaction was, I had no idea you were Persian. You know, I think that's something that you guys have seen now, the outcome of four years of that afterwards, mm. being on television and showing that in a very big way. But it took me even a while to get there because I think we just learn how to put parts of ourselves in little boxes and only let the little pieces out that we feel safe to do so. You know, you only, you only show a little bit to someone because you're scared of what happens if you show all of yourself to someone. Do you feel now that you're living like 100% with everything out, out of the box on the shelf or are there still parts of you that you haven't fully unpacked? It's not an easy question to answer, I guess, but... I mean, I think it's, you know, you get better every day. You get better at being yourself every day. I think that yeah. that's like the, the goal for all of us is we're all like just trying to be our true selves, not even like the best version of ourselves, but like, who are we really on the inside? And like the real version, the yeah. real version of yourself. And it's, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. And then there's always expectations on you. Right. And some of them are societal, but some of them are just because of who you are. You know, people will now always expect me to be the queen they met on Drag Race. And I think I am that person like 99% of the time. Mm. But you know, it's always a constant piece of work that I think everyone goes through, yeah. no matter who they are is like, how do you continue to be your true self all the time in all situations? Talking about you kind of unpacking yourself, I like the idea of slowly unpacking yourself. And obviously yeah, before, like it too. before you came out as a drag queen, you had to come out as gay. <laughs> how did you come to feeling confident and comfortable enough to be able to do that? I mean, you know, and again, this is where I think I'm thankful for having my dad in my life mm. because at 16 was when I was like, all right, I can't ignore these feelings any longer. And I was living in, uh, I was living in a suburb of Milwaukee, you know, and this was 
early 2000s. So not like, I won't say the most progressive places in the world. (laughs) And I was young, you know, I was 15 going on 16. And I think I'd really started to come into my own about my passion for performing and theater. And at the same time, kind of realizing I definitely was attracted to men and trying to, you know, negotiate all of that. I was very lucky because I I found a couple friends in the theater community, you know, in my high school that I felt comfortable enough to do that with. But it was not, not something I was out and proud about, like in a loud way. And so I got, I guess, lucky in that, you know, when I was 16, my mom was kind of getting very frustrated with me and that I wasn't becoming a scientist, but was becoming a theater person. So she thought it'd be a good idea to have me moved in with my dad in California because she thought, you know, him also being a scientist and that I seemed to listen to him more, that he would be able to convince me that like (laughs) what I wanted to do was that, I guess, or something more respectable. Even the worst theater person is almost like the mother's worst nightmare. If if she wants you to be a scientist, it's pretty much the opposite of that. Totally. I'm exactly a drag queen is the opposite of being a scientist. scientist. (laughs) (laughs) If you had to ask what is the opposite of a scientist, you would get the answer drag queen. (laughs) So I moved in with my dad at 16 and he was very like, you know, you're almost grown up live your life as long as you're home at a decent hour. I don't really care what you do. You seem like you're not going to be a crazy child. And I wasn't like I I never fell in with a bad crowd or anything Mm. in high school. I had a lot of great friends. And in California, I started feeling like I could really be myself. And then I was very gay in high school, you know, suddenly not having to kind of live under my mom's thumb. I was like wearing rainbow and boas. And this was the era of flare jeans. And I was wearing very like Christina Aguilera, low rise flare jeans (laughs) all around school, walking around, you know, being very, very gay. Was your dad still cool with this? Like, well, I guess he didn't. He was just kind of very hands off. He was just kind of like live your life. He never really questioned what I was doing as long as my grades were decent and I wasn't getting in any trouble. He was like, live your life. Because often a father figure is often seen as the one who is the more regimented. And it's interesting that your dad was sort of the open door for you to express yourself. Yeah, I find it quite an encouraging thing because I'm like, I have a 10 year old son and my philosophy, I mean, he's a bit younger than the period you're talking about. But my thing tends to be, again, live your life. But sometimes you stop and think, what the hell? is he going to do that? <laughs> what sort of life will that be? It's a, it's a kind of a bold way of parenting to give your kid that latitude, I think. I mean, sure, there were a couple of times where he was like, what what the heck happened? Like, why are you <laughs> home this late? Like, yeah. for better or worse, it's like you raise your kids with certain values and then you hope that then they take those values and apply them to their own lives. But I think if you force them upon them, I my entire childhood, I was forced to keep my bedroom so clean and tidy and if it was never not clean and tidy it was the biggest blowout from my mom and since i've lived on my own since 16 i've never kept a neat and tidy room (laughs) she's rebelling finally (laughs) rebelling still you know however many odd years later so much of adulthood is like that isn't it you remember things you weren't allowed to do and almost whether you want to do them or not you're just like i can though (laughs) i quite often buy um sweets candy as the americans would say and i don't i only half of me wants them but half of it is the thrill of buying stuff that i just couldn't have at one time (laughs) that is a good one my parents weren't even that strict on it but like i wouldn't be able just walk into a shop at especially if it's a funny time of day sometimes it's like 10 in the morning and i walk into a shop and think i can just have anything (laughs) even in the morning that feeling when you go to the restaurant and you're like i can order pancakes yeah i can order waffles i've never got past that with restaurants that feeling of like they will just bring me what i ask for (laughs) (laughs) i'm allowed to have it Um, looking at i I think your dad seems to be an amazing role model but were there any other men that you looked up to when you were growing up 
I will say to my uncle, so my mom's brother-in-law, who's also mm-hmm. Iranian, he and my aunt, who's my mom's sister. So I, my, I, have, I have two aunts, one who's still in Iran. I talked about her a lot on the show and that mm-hmm. she hasn't been able to visit the United States and hopefully that will change very soon. And the other one is my aunt who lives about two hours away from my mom in Wisconsin. And their household was always, they did have two, I guess I would say, stereotypically masculine children. Both of my male cousins loved soccer and were always playing soccer and were always like running around and very kind of physical boys. Yeah. And I was kind of, when I'd go stay with them, I was this little <laughs> darling sissy boy, I guess. You know, and I think in the United States, we've reclaimed that word sissy, but I don't know if they use it much in the UK, but it, it kind of just means effeminate boy. And it's, it was definitely used as a slur against effeminate boys. I think it still would be here as well. It's I'm still not sure considered if it's, a slur here. Don't I think it's been reclaimed. Yeah, here. which is interesting. There's the yeah. whole thing with language, actually, where a lot of people my age use the word queer, like the queer community, rather than saying LGBTQ+. Right. So my generation often uses the word queer, but people even like five, six years older than me, queer is a word that has a real visceral response from them because that was shouted at them in the streets. Totally, totally. And I think it's something that I remember in Wisconsin, I got called a queer. Mm. I I think regardless of what I was concealing from my mom or whoever else, I think in general, if you saw me walking down the street with my little swishy walk, you probably would know I was a little different. Uh, You don't have to do much in some communities to be called gay uh, as well. Just like reading a newspaper can do it in some communities. (laughs) Right. Or crossing my legs a certain way or liking the Spice Girls or whatever I was into. I was lucky because, you know, my uncle didn't seem to mind that like, even though I was hanging out with his two sons, I was into very different things. He was always like, yeah, do you want me to take you to go see Pocahontas for the 10th time in movie theaters? I was like, yes, I just want to sing Just Around the Riverbend. And then he'd like play at the CD for me. And my two other cousins would be like, God, can we stop listening to you sing Just Around the River? <laughs> good song that, though. <laughs> I loved it. So your uncle is another good example of like a more traditional man who did not try to impose traditionalism on, on you. Well, and he was also the first person in certainly my Iranian American family and uh, also in his kind of greater Iranian community in Wisconsin, who was pretty vocal about saying, hey, you guys, the times have changed, whether or not maybe in the past you thought being gay was wrong. He was pretty vocal and rallying that small community to be like, being gay is okay. And certainly, I think President Obama, was, who was a big role model for him, was a big part of that too. And being the first American president to say like, I believe in gay marriage, which then I think led to the tipping of the scales in the Supreme Court, et cetera, here in the United States. So I think he was really great in that way because it is it is a community that holds a lot of different values than I think American values. There's a huge emphasis on education, certainly in the Persian American community. And him telling me at a pretty young age, he was like, hey, no matter what you do and who you love, as long as you're safe, it's going to be okay with me and your aunt and eventually your mom will be okay with it too. He told me that at kind of an age when he was like, I know your mom may not be ready to hear these things from you now, but she will be when the time's right. And just remember that we'll love you no matter what. So that was really helpful for me too. I think that's really really enlightened i think sometimes you need to hear someone say this isn't okay at the moment but i'm older than you a time will come when it is okay yeah it's hard i think for us to understand sometimes why older people don't move along with us on the journey as quickly i think we've seen that with some of our older lgbtq heroes who have uh-huh. haven't moved along on this kind of new way of thinking about gender that i think the rest of the world is moving along on and i think it's a good reminder for us as 
I will say young-ish people now, right? We're kind of in the middle. There's people much younger than us who are still doing amazing things. And there's people much older than us. Michael's much younger than me, to be honest. I find it tiring. (laughs) But as we get older, right, to keep that reminder to ourselves, like, hey, the kids will keep moving and pushing the ideas forward. And it's up to us then to start listening and learning to them as their points of view change. As we really start to understand and unpack the gender binary in different ways, it'll be important for us to actually think about where we fit in that or where we've maybe pushed our own more is binarial a word? I don't think so, but I'll make it we'll up. Make it we'll one. take yeah. it. We'll take it binarial. Yeah. However, we pushed our own binarial ideas forward in our own lives or in our our own mini societies as we've, you know, lived them. And how do we how do we unpack and how do we fix that? How do we change it? I think it's so important as you get older to, like you said, understand that there's a good chance people 30 years younger will have a better grip on things rather than, it always amazes me. It's not just in the field of gender or identity politics, even with music and stuff, you'll, you'll hear people say, ah, the last great music was, and it's always like exactly 1986 or whenever they were 21. And Whereas like, actually right. Little Mix are the pinnacle of music. But, uh, as Michael <laughs> would tell you, music has finished now. Yeah, This is it. It's never going to get, it's never going to get any better. Yeah, honestly. this is it now. Uh, it, it makes me really sad to see people talk as if their generation was uniquely in charge of some kind of keys to everything. And now they're just watching decline because no one, surely can really believe that if they're intelligent enough. And that's testament to the power of change, I suppose. And you've mentioned a bit about your mum being a bit slower, I suppose, to kind of come around to seeing you for who you are. How has that change affected your relationship now? Well, I'll say this. She's still kind of slow and she's still, I think, in, I will say, she hasn't like embraced every part of my chosen career, profession and life Mm -hmm. as something she loves. She watched little clips from the show. She doesn't have cable, so she didn't watch the whole series. She didn't ask me how she could find a way to watch the show. You know, so I, I think she wasn't looking for an illegal feed to hack into it. Right. Like she wasn't <laughs> like, I'm gonna watch this. Like she's not like a P flag parent now running around with the flag. Like she didn't have that kind of a She hasn't bought the drag race merchandise. Totally. She didn't have that kind of a renaissance uh-huh. in her mind. And I think I just have to kind of be okay with the fact that, you know, you have to just let other people live their own lives. You can agree with them or not agree with them uh you can love them and not agree with everything that they feel you know so i think now we're just kind of i guess the word i'd use is copacetic you know we're we're very we're friendly we both hate trump so we've been very much sharing little gifts and memes of trump and how much he sucks (laughs) in some ways trump really unites people (laughs) i'll tell you this and it's so funny because this just happened to me last night i was riding in an uber a very long uber And the driver I noticed on the little thing had the same given name as me. Um, And his name was Darius. He was an older man. I'm going to guess in his 60s driving this Uber. And he drove me. I was driving a very long way from uh, doing a little virtual show that was far from where I live in Manhattan, about an hour away. And, you know, we're sitting and he's, you know, he's noticed I had a Biden Harris mask on my face. And he starts asking me, like, he's like, did you think he really won? And I was like, yeah, I think he really won. Like the the votes are there. <laughs> yeah, just by counting the votes, it it, it looks like it. Yeah, <laughs> looks like it to me. It's that five million vote gap that gave me that, that impression. Right. Yeah. And so he was just kind of like pushing and prodding and poking, and he was like, "Where are you from?" And I was like, "Oh, I was you know born in Canada, lived in different places, California, wherever." 
He's like, but where are your parents from? And I was like, okay, well, my mom's Iranian. He was like, I thought so. Like he'd figured it out. Like he'd crack the code. <laughs> and then at that point he started telling me, you know, he's like, I fought for a revolution in Iran in the seventies and now it's terrible. And all of these things. When I was young, I protested terrible governments too. And it was a big mistake. And I don't understand why young people like you and Trump is really the one who's going to set us all free. You know, he kind of started going in on me and I was like, oh God. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of regressed back to this respectful kid. You always in Persian culture, very respectful of your elders, never talk back. You always have to be very respectful. So just trying to like nod and like make a couple points. And Plus he's in charge of a vehicle that and, you're and in. And he's in charge of a vehicle I'm in. And I had like a big suitcase of like expensive drag in the trunk. So I was like, I can't even like jump out of this thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very interesting drive with this man. It was almost like an alternate reality version of like my uncle. Like what if my uncle had never had that kind of progressive, I guess, aha moment and realized that, uh, that mm. like some of these conservative, heteronormative, gender binaried ideas about the way we should live. Like what if he'd never had that realization and just kind of fell down that conservative rabbit hole? And so it was an exhausting and emotional car ride, surprisingly. Yeah. And I got home in like a very odd and terrible mood. But it just kind of reminded me that as much as we're doing this work of trying to be better people. And I think that that's the key is like, I don't think I'm a better person than anyone else, but I think that I am trying to be as aware of my faults every day as I can be, and then doing what I can, when I can to fix those things. And I think it's, it's interesting to see, you know, different people who I think are doing that in their own minds as well and coming to very different conclusions. Yeah. And you'll often hear this about men that, and again, it is a pretty big generalization, but you'll, you'll often hear it said that men don't do the work on themselves, do not reflect as much, or or at least don't come to the right conclusions. Certainly not true of all men, but it, it does feel like maybe as men from an early age, we're not encouraged to look for our own fallibilities we're kind of encouraged to be on the front foot the whole time well and i think this is one thing that i would say american macho culture and maybe traditional british stiff upper lip culture have in common yeah, yeah. is yeah. that showing emotion is considered not great <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I think when you have reflections like that, I think in human beings, regardless of gender, when you actually have these deep reflective moments, they can be very emotional. And if you're taught at a young age, showing your emotions is something for sissies, maybe that's something American boys will have heard, or a stiff upper lip, which is something I think many people in the UK have heard. Yeah, don't make a fuss. Get on with it. Yeah. Mm. And then you stop doing the things that will get you to the place where you have to feel those emotions, right? Yeah. So it's like, I think emotions are interesting. And certainly I'm this way, for better or worse, have learned to avoid them if I have to for safety or work or whatever it is I have to do. But then at the flip token, if I sit and actually start to think about things that are emotional to me, then I, I get them revved up. I think they, they all start come welling mm. up under the surface. And it's hard work to do. It's certainly not fun. But it's definitely work that I think everyone, regardless of gender, should do. And I think we need to find ways to encourage men to do that. What do you think those ways are? It's not up to you to solve the entire problem globally. <laughs> but if but you could, that would be lovely. Could, what do you think are routes to men getting better at emotional honesty? I think representation is a big thing. You know, we talk about representation of gender. uh, We talk about representation of different ethnicities. We talk about all of these representations. But I think just having more open and honest men in visible media being emotional and honest with themselves, I think is something that is still lacking. I mean, think about this, like how daring it was 
on The Sopranos, which is now, I guess, almost 20 years old, that the show started with this mob boss going to see a therapist. Yeah. Mm. Like that was like, we hadn't seen anything like that before. No, you're right. Right. And actually kind of normalizing mental health, normalizing emotions for men. Because we, especially now with our, you know, I have a computer here, I have my phone right here, I have a TV somewhere over there. Like we have all of these screens that are throwing back this feedback relay on us. I think for those in charge of what's the content on those screens, I think having those open and honest portrayals of male characters is important. Or showing real men, you know, having that reality moment, I think is important too. And again, I don't know all the answers, but I think that certainly has helped me. Yeah. Again, we're not asking you for all the answers. That would be unfair. <laughs> I'll do what I can. <laughs> on um, Drag Race, there is a, a real emotional honesty about people disclosing trauma sometimes, or cultural difference sometimes, or mental health issues sometimes. And there's a real sense of, I suppose, community. And a lot of the time, drag queens are seen as sort of leaders in a way, and, and the role has sort of become a bit politicised. Have you felt that change, that you feel a bit more that you have to be political in this exploration of gender I certainly feel it as a responsibility. Right. And I think I, I started feeling that in a big way in 2016, when I realized not a huge national stage, but just in my community here in New York, that people were listening to what I had to say. And I was like, oh, mm. well, if people are listening to me, then I should try to say, I, th I think the right things, or at least the things that I think are true and helpful. Yeah. And that certainly has informed my drag ever since. And now on a much bigger international platform, I take that responsibility seriously. I think when I made my audition tape, right, this is my first time making an audition tape. I said, I want to tell the experience of a young Middle Eastern person living in the United States in the year 2019, 2020. And I want to put a face to a story that I felt as a young person, there wasn't any face to that story. We've had yeah. over 50 years of negative interpretations of Middle Eastern culture in Western media. Yeah, I was tired of Middle Eastern people being portrayed as terrorists, firstly, and if not that, then I guess sleazy oil barons or something, right? <laughs> yeah, it feels like not all of you can be terrorists or oil barons. Right. <laughs> I don't want to be a terrorist, but I'd love to have a lot of money from oil and I don't. <laughs> oh, you can see why someone would go down the oil baron road. It's lucrative <laughs> for sure. So I was just like, here's a chance for me to say something. And if I'm going to say it, then I, I'm also signing up for that responsibility. Yeah. I'm telling you that I am here for you. If you see yourself in me, then I'm here for you as well. Now that you have done this on quite a large international scale, do you still feel in some way responsible to people who see a bit of themselves in you? Completely. I completely do. And I, I don't take that lightly. Yeah. I know I signed myself up for it. I'll also be the first to say I'm going to make mistakes. You know, I'm going to have a long, hopefully, I'm going to knock on wood, public life as, as a career, right? This is something I signed up for going on an international show. And I know that I'm, I'm going to make mistakes in the future. I'm going to say a wrong thing. I'm going to maybe do something that was questionable. And I ask anyone who's following along me on this journey to be patient and know that I'm going to try to do my best. And I do listen to the fans and things when they call me out if I've done anything in the past or what have you, and just try to get better. And I think that's like, again, all I can promise anyone is that I'll do my best to get better mm -hmm. as we move through this bizarre journey of life together. But 
I do take it seriously and I am honored that anyone would even consider me a role model. It does feel like that's a, a, another thing men or well anyone could get better at as well listening to criticism and because it there certainly feels like there's an assumption that if you agree with criticism of yourself you're just making yourself weaker you're basically somehow less of a person rather than you know it should be an admirable quality to hear someone say you, you did that wrong and say oh yeah okay you see it in our male political leaders even people not as extreme as trump anyone in public life but especially men i feel like as soon as you're criticized and you say maybe i can learn from that you'll then see other people go well you shouldn't need to learn from that you're already yeah. a failure you've already yeah. failed we need to rethink the way that we approach criticism because like jackie says you, you're gonna make mistakes they're unavoidable totally it's such a catch-22 the other thing that's being reflected back to us right is a lot of pressure to be perfect there's no room for mistakes yeah i think so some of that is that part of that culture needs to let go as well you know that cancel culture of all right well did this person that we canceled uh, at least attempt to fix the mistake uh -huh. like did we ever follow up did we ever like find out if they apologized if they tried to do the right thing or is it just over and done no mistakes allowed forget it because it's, it's a, a scary idea isn't it cancellation means something's over it's finished it's a bit difficult to do that with a human life you'd yeah. say like the, that person still is alive after all we need to stop living in a world of black and white yeah. when it comes to right and wrong, when it comes to male and female, when it comes to masculine and feminine as non, you know, sex ideas, but as gender ideas or cultural ideas, mm. black and white in terms of like illegal immigrant versus not, you know, I think that there's all these like ideas of like this person's an, an evil person and this person's a good person. And in reality, 99.99% of people are neither perfectly good nor perfectly evil, right? We're all somewhere in the middle. We need to start rejecting binarial ideas to use the word that you invented, which we're now trying to make popular. Binarial invented here on this podcast. <laughs> Things are just so binary. It sounds days. a bit like binoculars, like a bit like... Yeah, I reckon there is a version of the word that does exist, but if there wasn't before, there is now. I like binarial. I'm going to stick with binarial. Yeah. When you're performing as Jackie and you're using she, her pronouns, do you find people respond to you differently? I suppose actually what's more interesting is do you respond to people differently? So here's the thing about pronouns. I think gender pronouns mean something. And that's why, you know, for me, certainly in drag, when I'm all up in the geesh or whether you're, so when you're talking about Jackie in the third person, I think the she, her, her pronouns are important because I do put a lot of work in embracing the femininity of Jackie. I think huh. she is by design a little hyper feminine. I would say Jackie is very much a traditional drag queen. Uh -huh. With her, I don't play as much with gender, but the one cool thing about all of this is that having her as this hyper feminine character I've created has allowed me in my non-drag everyday life to also explore a little bit of what my own gender is. And I have, have recently come out as someone who considers themselves gender expansive mm. in that I am a male person, but I push a definition of what I think male is. I think I have feminine qualities. I think I like to play in that binary. And I think that for those who have very strong, or not even very strong, for those who just have a preference of a pronoun, once they share it with you, do your best to remember that preference. And they will hopefully give you a little bit of leeway as you get used to using a pronoun that maybe you weren't expecting, or maybe they've changed their preferred pronouns, or at least changed sharing them with you. It's definitely something that you have to get used to. But once you you just, it's just, again, it's more work. And it's about, do I really want to be this lazy and potentially hurt someone's feelings or not less even hurt someone's feelings, hurt someone's sense of self? Mm. That's the thing. It's much deeper than just, you know, when people don't do the work, I always find it 
pretty weird because it's quite a small mental adjustment to make when you consider that the it's stakes that are somebody's sense of who they are in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this term gender expansive is not one that I've heard before, I don't think. Is it your own term or is it something which is, a, you know, it's an idea that's out there? Yeah, it's an, it's an idea that's out there. It's also been called gender non-conforming in the past. Uh-huh. I think we've yeah. moved away from the word gender non-conforming because it assumes that being in the binary is somehow conforming to something. But there's a norm that you should or shouldn't. Conforming has a little bit of a connotation to yeah, it. Yeah. So I think using the word gender expansive just helps bridge the idea that, you know, if gender was a Kinsey scale, right? We use the Kinsey scale for sexual orientation yep. a lot, but like, and one is masculine or six is feminine or something like I'm not on either pole of that spectrum. Right. Yeah. And I wouldn't say so far as to say I'm gender non-binary because to my way of understanding gender non-binary would mean more that you don't want to even deal with that spectrum or uh-huh. you just you're, you're going to play with it however you want yeah. you opt out of being on that one to six thing altogether maybe right and it's like well i see myself still on that spectrum you know for better or worse i'm you know as someone who's very hyper culturally aware and who has used the definitions of femininity certainly to inform an entire career yeah right i think jackie is very much a creation of certainly 20th century american ideas of what a woman is uh-huh yeah. Mm. Part of her creation is in this idea of a woman, right? It's this idea of a beautiful woman who has big hair and wears a lot of makeup and pretty traditionally feminine clothes. All these kinds of things are an idea that obviously exists in my head somehow, which means if the idea exists, then for better or worse, the gender binary is still a big part of the way my mind works. And uh-huh. yeah, as much as I try to break out of it, I know it exists. And so I, in my real life, I try to push myself as far away from those two poles as I can so that I can, you know, feel comfortable wearing pink, feel comfortable letting my hair be longer, wearing clothing that's sold in the women's section, but not in drag, just in my everyday life. I think these are things that I, I'm pushing myself more to away from the idea that I have to either be Jackie Cox, who maybe is a six on this scale of mm. binary versus what I maybe thought I had to be as a young person of a one you know, which is very male. Yeah, this really interests me. As someone relatively new to the whole idea of drag, it's not an easy question to formulate, but I, I am interested in... We always have one of these every episode. There's always one someone, question where it takes us ages to ask someone it. Someone messes up a question. It's normally me, <laughs> so it's quite nice to hear that the normally verbose Mark is struggling now. You've partly answered it, but yeah, I think I always wonder about drag acts, drag queens. Like when you're being Jackie, how much of that is you actually exploring a different version of of yourself or maybe the version of yourself versus how much is what someone like me would call an act or if if there is even a meaningful separation between those things those selves it's something that i don't know if i'll ever know the entire answer to right i I don't know if i'll ever know where she begins and i end that's the question basically more succinctly very interesting i think of jackie as a creation Mm. you know i think of her she's frankenstein something you've made she's frankenstein's monster a little she's i created her but you know even think about that word frankenstein we use Frankenstein to refer to the scientist and the monster, even though they're two separate people. Yeah, She's definitely a creation in my mind. In my mind, she has a way that she walks, a way that she looks, a way that she talks. Uh, and a lot of those things are informed by me, but then some of them are just informed by my imagination. Yeah, And so I guess I'll never quite know the true answer of where she begins and I end. And certainly now that I've appeared on a national or international platform, one thing that I did notice was a disconnect for a lot of certainly the fans uh, watching the show was when 
most of the time uh, when I'm in drag, I'm in front of the judges or in a, in a challenge on television and I'm performing as Jackie and Jackie has a little bit more of a musical way of talking. She moves her voice around a little bit more like sure. this. She talks a little bit up and down and she's a little smilier and very <laughs> like, hi, how's it going? Salam, RuPaul. Yeah, there's an element of performance already. It's a performance that I've been doing now for 10 years. So it feels like it's still a part of me. And then when we would go you know, backstage, but we're all still in drag and we're having these conversations in Untucked, I kind of, my voice just turns to this, which is a little <laughs> bit more monotone. My everyday voice is a little bit more here. And I notice people be like, why is Jackie so mean all of a sudden? Why is she, <laughs> she's terrible. And some of that's misogyny, right? We expect a woman to have a more musical voice. A sing-song voice, yeah. We don't like women who talk like this, right? Because this is these silly ideas we put in our heads of what a woman should or shouldn't be. Um, it's funny for me to now realize that, well, in the general world, I will always be Jackie. You know, that people mm, will see me yeah. down the street and say, hi, Jackie. They'll think you're being weird if you talk in your actual voice. They'll think that's, that's somehow an affectation or something. Maybe. Yeah, I guess. I don't know what people expect anymore. And part of me, I guess, has to learn just to not care. Uh, right? We all have to let go of those expectations. Yeah, sure. But then part of me is like, do I even really need to suss out the difference between who Jackie is and who I am, or maybe they'll just always exist in parallel with each other and I'll see where they meet and where they don't. I like what you were saying about how people need to allow themselves the opportunity to change, I suppose. And even going back to what you're talking about with your mum, you're able to love someone and not agree with everything that they do. I have plenty of friends who I disagree with on a daily basis, and we've had blazing arguments, but I still love them, and they're still really close friends of mine because I'm willing to do the work to try and find a kind of middle ground or just accept that we don't agree on certain points. Right. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I have to run and grab... My friend is waiting outside of my studio real quick. We were going to have a meeting after this. I'm going to grab him and bring him up, and then we can wrap up. Cool, we've got one more question. I'll go grab him real quick. When you're as old as me, you need a nap about now anyway, so that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on one sec. No worries. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, let's just last question. I think so, because we've got, we've got nice stuff. Yeah, that's lovely. I don't know how long she'll be, actually, to be honest. Oh, I've been locked out of my studio. Ah, <laughs> I thought it was a long pause. I said, oh my God, no, it's no way of getting back in. Do you have a crowbar? <laughs> no. 
This is amazing, and if uh, we can say, "Oh my God, babe, don't worry about us," we'll ask you the last question, and you can send us your response later. It's totally fine. Okay, right. We interrupt this broadcast to let you know that uh, Jackie has been locked out of her house. Yes, we have an unusual situation here. Uh, the first time we've confronted this, Jackie went to let someone in to the studio and then got locked out. Uh, so we are staring at the space where Jackie used to be on a Zoom <laughs> yeah. call. It's the f- I mean, we've had her ups and downs with guests, but it's the first time we've physically lost one. But we're, <laughs> we've always been honest about the workings of this, and we're just straight up telling our listeners that we have quite literally lost, lost Jackie Cox. <laughs> what we are going to do, though, is we will send them the question we normally ask, which is the uh, the build a man thing. So the, we'll, yeah, be, we'll be asking the three question. qualities she would build in a man, and then she'll hopefully send us them if she ever gets back into her house where all of her belongings are. If this is her last public work, though, then what a way to go out. I mean, what a way. And again, there is a way of editing around this so that you never know that we lost our guest. But we're not going to do that because no. we, me and Michael are people who hold our hands up and say, if you do our podcast, you might not even get through the end. And that <laughs> is what's happened here. You might not make it to the end. Okay, so so we're going to insert it now. Should I pretend I've answered the question? So well, the yeah, why don't you ask it out loud and then at least the listeners can imagine that this finished the way okay, we wanted cool. it yeah. to. Hi, Jackie. We often ask at the end of the podcast the three qualities that you would program into a man if you were to be building one. Yeah, if you were constructing a man, however you you define that from scratch what three things are you putting in and amazing how hard that was with you not even here I think it makes it harder in a way because we're just firing the question into a void into an empty <laughs> screen where there's a microphone in the middle of it we'll pass over to Jackie now and then we'll say goodbye afterwards yes hi it's Jackie Cox once again my apologies my apologies I did get locked out of my space and had to climb through a bathroom window to get back in. Sadly, it was another half an hour. And so the boys have entrusted me with this last question that I will answer into the void, which is what three qualities would I put into a man if I was to create one? It's a very Rocky Horror question, isn't it? But we're not going to talk about the blonde hair and the tan. Because I think it's important to touch on some of the themes that I got to explore today with these darling boys. I think the biggest one is the ability to feel confidence in yourself. And I think that's where a lot of it, it comes from is that insecurity we feel that maybe we don't fit in or that we're not what people expect us to be or the ideals of what we should be. I think that confidence is the first place where if you have that confidence in yourself, no matter who you are, then that can lead you to the other qualities I'd love, which is the ability to feel emotions and empathy. I'm going to consider that one quality. Maybe that's two. But I think emotions and empathy and, you know, as a, as a man feeling not only the ability to have your own emotions for yourself and letting yourself feel them, but then also having the understanding uh, of others' emotions, I think is something that, you know, every every man should have, every human should have. But I think in men especially, we sometimes are lacking in those things. And then the last quality I'd love to build into a man, if I was, you know, the the mad scientist over there, it would be the, the sense of self being not tied to an existing binary. Uh, and I don't know, I think we made up that word today, binarial. This idea of non-binariality is that whether or not you are as masculine or as feminine as others deem you should or shouldn't be, is to just 
be able to live in whatever that space is, not forcing yourself into one or the other because you feel like you have to, but letting those parts of yourself that are in those binaries to also exist. I think that's something that's fun. You know, certainly with drag, I let that feminine side of myself really play out as Jackie, which is so much fun for me. So those are the three qualities I would put in. And uh, I just want to thank you guys so much for having me. And I'm sorry I'm not again with you guys live for this last question, but I've had such a great conversation. So I'm going to go climb back out of this window and I'm wishing you guys all the best and lots of love. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Jackie. Bye. Oh, yeah. Bye. Goodbye. (laughs) Seamless. It was unusual to wrap up a podcast having not said goodbye to our guest. But bye, Jackie. That was great. We had no choice, really. We had to send goodbye on a postcard in the end. <laughs> but a really interesting conversation. Not interesting. Eye-opening. Bewildering. What do we say now? Well, bizarre, I think, is the adjective for the end of the conversation. Yeah, but um, who knows what we could have covered if only Jackie had managed to stay in the building. But it wasn't to be. <laughs> Entrancing while it lasted, Michael. Bewitching, I would say, as well. We've also had some really lovely messages coming through again yes. through our Instagram and Twitter, which are at Podcast, as well as our email address which is menkindpodcast at gmail.com yeah this is from someone called Janet Uh, she says hi Michael and Mark disappointed with the order there but it happens correct Um, I just want to thank you for putting the podcast out in the world I'm a cis woman sort of peering in from the outside listening to your podcast this is lovely is like seeing into the hearts and minds of my husband father brothers and dearest friends it's given me a lot to think about that's very nice isn't it that's very sweet lovely Janet and also getting the order correctly as did John um, who says hi Michael and Mark and he also clarifies which is the correct way to say it by the way well he's actually written that he has written that in words isn't that great I have no allies on this podcast (laughs) he says he loves the podcast and particularly enjoyed the one with Alistair Campbell which was last week and as a recovering alcoholic and reviving compulsive overeater himself masculinity has closely been tied to not wanting to ask for help and to just say that he can't do it on his own and that he can't think his way out of this mess has been really helpful and he's identified a lot so that was wonderful to hear so thank you for your messages keep them coming in we love hearing from people we really do and especially the range of people we continue to hear from is really gratifying for both of us I think Yeah. and talking of a range we are about to record a whole block more of exciting guests next weekend so something to look forward to and Mark and I will be in the same room albeit from a long distance away from each other it will be nice to actually see you for real Michael should we tell them who's on next week in the meantime um Yes, if you can remember. (laughs) I'll give you a clue. It's Vincent. I laugh at everything because I think everything's really funny, even like really dark things. (laughs) So like someone being like overly toxic and overly masculine is like comedy to me because I'm just like, you're you're putting on a show and like, calm down. Like, we get it. You got a big dick. Like, relax. You know what I mean? Like, we get it. Like, don't don't do too much. Fine. We'll just all admire dick and move on. (laughs) Exactly. Like, I'm here. I'm happy for you. Godspeed. (laughs) Big clue, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, A a pop singer, pop sensation, I think I'd go so far as to say. Yeah, Vincent was absolutely brilliant. And there's some wonderful, wonderful sound bites, which I still think of every day these days. So one to look forward to. In the meantime, we'll see you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.